What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Sunday morning. It's a morning podcast, weekend morning. I might have to put my NPR voice on for this, uh, just because of the uh, the time of day that we're doing this. We usually do this at night. We're usually drinking. We're drinking coffee today. But before we jump into the interview, with my excellent guest, uh, this episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by Baboon. Baboon makes technically. <coughs> Excuse me. Baboon makes technical duffel bags for all your life's adventures. These bags use waterproof materials, uh, tear-proof, and will last forever. Every bag comes with the shipping, free shipping, excuse me, and a lifetime guarantee. Uh, big fan of lifetime guarantees around here, Jeremy. Uh, Baboon to the Moon is offering this. So it's a quality product. We only push quality products on this podcast. So Baboon duffels are called Go Bags. They come in a small size and a large size. Small is your carry-on, uh, large is your check-in. Uh, they have backpack straps. You can carry them around. They're really aesthetically pleasing. They come in, <coughs> uh, again, they come in this two sizes. You can take them anywhere. You can drag them to the airport uh, on any adventures you go to. I'm going to Paris in a couple weeks. I'm going to be bringing my baboon bag. See why Condé Nast Traveler is calling it the ultimate weekender. Uh, so visit baboontothemoon.com. Enter the code CRYPT. That's C-R-Y-P-T. At baboon to the moon dot com crypt baboon to the moon dot com code crypt you'll get ten percent off of a cool bag. All right, that was the first like live read of an ad I've done with a guest in in studio. Was that awkward at all, Jeremy? I like totally to- awkward. <laughs> totally awkward. <laughs> uh, no, good man. Yeah, so I'd like to introduce you, freaks, to Jeremy Welch. How's uh, it going? Welcome to the podcast, CEO thanks of. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming. I'm. Uh, uh, we were talking about earlier. I've been playing around with your product, uh, the Casa Node. Awesome, awesome. We are uh, me and Matt O'Dell are experimenting with it, and we are going to be the first test for a full resync from scratch. Excellent. Um, before we dive into Casa and what you're doing with that product in particular, and what you guys are doing as a company, let's learn more about you. So, how'd you get into Bitcoin? You're a Charleston boy. I'd like to hear that as a former Charleston <laughs> boy myself. So. Yeah, uh, it's it's been a while. Um, I've uh, I, I first got into Bitcoin, so I, I worked in yeah I worked in um, I worked in tech in New York. I actually dropped out of school. I went to to Duke and I studied political philosophy there, and then I dropped out, and uh, I came up to New York and was working in tech here, uh, a company ad an advertising tech company that we sold into Google around 2010, oh, and yeah. so I got this this big lesson as to how the the real internet. Uh, works the advertising based internet uh, it was very disconcerting to understand the whole thing uh, but spent a little while on that um, stayed about a year at Google learned a ton I, as, as far as a large company it was impressive how they operated and learned a ton from that even though you know it's a little with with some of my philosophical leanings was uh, again a little disconcerting seeing everything um, but I went back and I finished up school and I uh, at Duke finished up undergrad and I specifically was really digging into this question of kind of the nature of capitalism and mm-hmm. um, yeah, where, you know, just, just what, what the hell was going on? Cause it felt like all the people that I was, you know, coming to New York asking like, Hey, the, how does this work? How does this work? How does this work? That nobody had any answers. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, this was, this was middle of the, so 2010 is when we sold the company, we were working on it, 2008, um, 2009, 
and so that was you know that was through the kind of tail end uh, mid end of the financial crisis mm -hmm. and even all my finance buddies like people that that worked in banking or trading like they didn't know what was going on it's it's crazy when we look back at it and we have these movies like the big short that um that kind of uh give give some perspective on it um but it's still again it's still crazy people just act like it didn't happen or they act like yeah i mean oh yeah we knew we knew now and people with perspective but they really didn't uh, and so it's, you had, you had these people like, you know, in the movie, the big short that, that did kind of see where the problems were. And I, and I, you know, there are always these other kind of outside risks in, uh, in the system that just because they're not, um, playing out right now, doesn't mean that they're not there. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, uh, the ludic fallacy. So Nassim Taleb's ludic fallacy, right? Yeah. If you follow, he, he uses actually a turkey as the example is if you follow a turkey's life. Very Prussian timing. Yeah, they get they get plump, plump. You know, they get really, really plump and everything's working, everything's working. And then one day, you know, they, we get close to Thanksgiving and uh, lop off their head, right? <laughs> and if you just followed a turkey's life up until that point, it would seem like a great life. Yeah, if you project uh, out into the future, yeah, the turkey's life had only gotten better up to that point. Uh, little did. He or she know uh, they're about to get their head chopped off. Exactly. Um, so, and, and what he's describing with this example right, is tail risk. So that's what 100%. you're getting at here. Yeah. Um, and so I think out of that, I, I just had all these massive questions about um, capitalism generally, the kind of broader system we find ourselves in, governance and organization, and <clears throat> went back to to Duke to one just to hang out and take a break after working like crazy for a while. <laughs> but but beyond that, to uh, to dig into some of those questions, I did a bunch of independent studies and. Um, had some really good conversations, really good uh, reading, and dug into some things that eventually that led me to Bitcoin. We put on a, a conference too. This is uh, this is end of twenty thirteen, early twenty fourteen. Matt Carollo, the who's now um, I think up here here it's in a New chain York. Code. Yeah. yeah, chain code. Um, awesome dude, and incredible dude. Yeah, and he uh, learn more about better hash be, people. He happened to be at uh, UNC at the time. Mm -hmm. So we set aside our differences uh, with basketball and we still talk shit to each other, but um, we put together a little conference with a few other people. Uh, and um, yeah, it was it was an early, there were a bunch of Duke people now that are spread out in the ecosystem. And we're pretty proud of that fact because we all like strategize. We're like, how, do, how can we get more Tetris boys? From? Yeah, there's those guys. There's some, uh, <clears throat> one of the other guys that was around then is, is at um, Zero X few people at coinbase mm -hmm. uh they're all spread out but it's yeah. it's good so i, I the the, the you know, getting back to your core question of how i got into it um it's 2012 2013 and i i was digging into this after we sold that company and i was digging into these bigger questions and then found it then and it just clicked i mean I, everything that i was looking at and understanding about the nature of money and what matters about money and then i'm also big into I studied political philosophy, and so I think a lot about. Um, I think the the easiest turnaround is just cybernetics, like systems theory, and mm -hmm. um, so from from a systems theory perspective, you do have these massive, massive, um, massive, massive effects that very small parameter changes can have in a system. Uh, whenever you introduce feedback loops, and I think that you know, looking at Bitcoin, the structure of Bitcoin, that the the outsized effects it'll have are are going to be massive. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, probably the most elaborate tale that we've had uh, in a while up to this day. But it's, uh, no, it's always interesting how uh, the, the, 
the theme is is very similar. Uh, people uh, start with a question like, "How the hell does all this shit work, and why does it work the way it does?" That's sort of my tale. Is I was a senior in high school, just so happened to be taking uh, intro to economics elective while the world was going to shit, and had a very nice. uh, yeah very a good teacher who was like trying to ask force us to ask the right questions and lead down a path of uh, logical thinking of how these systems work. Um, that's what set me down the path to Bitcoin. But you coming from like the ad, ad ops, uh, ad industry uh, and, f- and seeing the insidious nature of sort of the uh, revenue models, I guess, for yeah, companies I, I, building I call the internet. Pushing clicks, mm-hmm. right? Pushing yeah. clicks, you know, instead of pushing other drugs, whatever. I mean, you're, 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 that's what you're doing is you're trying to increase click rate by point oh oh one percent right um you know there's there's been a lot of backlash against this ecosystem and and one thing i will say i will take this slightly contrarian take because everybody does talk shit now about ads at the time not everybody did uh but there is like a, a growing movement around that but we wouldn't we wouldn't be at this place we wouldn't have gotten to this place where we we can build these other systems uh if some of those things hadn't come through so i i do think that you know if you again if you follow the the you just follow a pure kind of systems theory perspective and you think about how things evolve, this was how things evolved. And in the early days, it didn't seem like it was going to be that big of an issue. Like if you look at, um, if you look at newspapers and the original advertising ecosystem really started with, you're talking about putting ads in newspapers and you had all this other news. It was useful. It wasn't in your face. People read it on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, It didn't suck you in and it wasn't you know, these massively addictive issues. And the news that we have today is just dramatically different from what you had at a kind of Sunday edition newspaper. So uh, I, I think, again, this leads credence to this idea that these very small decisions can balloon and over time with feedback loops can become these massive issues. Um, but I, you know, advertising started that way and now it's grown into something much more different and we know a path out and we, we got to take that path. So, Yeah, so that's what I was gonna ask like is there a path out and because it seems uh like we're pretty inundated and uh uh, we're sort of ingrained in this revenue model of how how to make money on the internet like what is what is the path out do you think uh we have to have uh events like data breaches at facebook uh all these other huge companies to have people realize like holy shit maybe this isn't maybe uh, the cost of monetizing the internet this way is, is too much on an individualistic level. Yeah, you have um, to have, you're gonna have to have not just the the actual data breaches, but you need an alternative. You yeah. need an alternative solution that will be the driver anytime, anytime one of those breaches happens, it'll drive people more and more to something else. And it's, I mean, I, that's similar now that Bitcoin exists when you get a situation like Venezuela or you get, you know, people are finding Bitcoin and they're never going to go back. And mm-hmm. you'll, you'll see similar type behavior, I think, uh, in the space, but it'll, I, I, I'm, uh, there's a, there's a line and I, I forget which, if this is, if this is from a specific book I read, um, but in terms of technology adoption, I, I do think that kind of key principle is it usually takes a little longer than most people expect to get there but once things start changing it always happens much 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 faster than people anticipate yeah it's line you overestimate what can happen in five years and underestimate mm-hmm. what can happen in 10 exactly um, exactly yeah and it's interesting we're coming up on on bitcoin's 10-year anniversary right um so how do you think it's done in its first decade uh you think it's undershot expect your expectations overshot uh 
Let's get a State of the Union from Jeremy Welcher. Um, I don't really have expectations. It's just, okay. just other than like, I, I'm not putting a necessarily a timeline on it. Mm-hmm. And a, I think that, um, I think a, again, a lot about, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I won't go into to that much detail on the, the philosophical side, but I, I think why that, not? I th- well, why not? I'm I'm not a huge. Don't be uh, afraid, Jeremy. <laughs> I I think that I mean I think things are just going to play themselves out. So there's yeah. not a point in giving a giving a uh, necessarily a play by play or an expectation mm-hmm. or where it could be. There is there's some influence that you know we can have, but um, the time giving a timeline. It's it's one thing to give the kind of analysis of what the implications are just from a logical perspective. It's another thing to tie in the timeline or a ten year mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and, ten, and time itself. Like you know, that's that's a questionable thing. Um, so putting just I I think that the one thing I try to do or I, I think a lot about is um, how we anthropomorphize things. We we think about human time spans and we think about like these decade markers, but they really don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you, if you kind of take a step back from that, just say like, okay, how's the process playing out? I mean, sure. We can, we can have these evaluations every once in a while, but it's, you know, a 10 year marker is totally meaningless. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to the tweet I have on the screen, but first, uh, I, what was I going to say? I completely agree. Oh yeah. Not, uh, I've been really diving, uh, and liking, the notion that that bitcoiners are very descriptive and not prescriptive you're we're yes. just describing a reality that exists now and yes. the amount of people that understand this reality is is very small at at the moment but yeah. it it is we believe i would argue that it is an empirically better way to do things yeah uh compared to the way we're doing them now in certain aspects of our life and we are saying hey this is a better technology it'll take over over time it just more people need to come to the realization that this exists. Yeah, I, I think that even the, the term better is is hard to argue about because it just depends on kind of who you are. For certain people, they like their fiat money and they mm-hmm. like their <laughs> fiat systems That's and they prefer that. They would prefer the control that comes from that. Um, I think on a, I think it just depends on how you're measuring, right? And we, we specifically measure our mission at CASA is maximizing personal sovereignty and safety. And if you look at a an individual person's ability to have control or have sovereignty and safety, then I think that yes, uh, like from that measure that it is absolutely better and it is measurably better. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that you can judge that on depending on who you talk to, who you talk to. But the other thing too, is I think that it will change. I think that there are certain types of people that, that again, if Bitcoin's an option, they'll choose Bitcoin. If no Bitcoin's there, then they're going to be like, yeah, I, I love fiat money. Everything is great. And mm-hmm. you know, um, so it's going to be an exciting few few years, no matter what. Right. As as this, I I think it has moved a little faster than I expected. I, w- I will say that. Like I think that we're in a much better place, and everybody that's complaining about a, you know, it's what what are we at today? Fifty five hundred or six thousand or something? Uh, I know we had a little. I don't even pay attention to the price that much anymore. I just I think more about like product space and product adoption. Yeah, we're at fifty five hundred. Stop dumping. We're uh, we're living off at like fifty five forty four <laughs> right now. Um, no, it's like, this always happens in these interviews. I'm like, I want to ask you 20 questions at once. Uh, <laughs> well, do it, do it. Because Hit you, all 20. I'll circle back to everything. You brought up, you brought up the, uh, the mission statement of CASA. Yeah. Uh, and I think you've assembled uh, 
one of the strongest teams to make that that mission come true. I mean, Jamison yeah. Lop, uh, Elena, uh, and crew are are people that have. Built. Yeah, and we have more. We have more that aren't announced yeah. yet. So yeah, yeah, I can't. We can't. We can't uh, for security reasons and other things. But there's, it's it's a crew. It's a it's a it's a damn dream team. It's crazy, and I'm I'm just honored to be around them and learn from everybody. Um, I think that the. You know the thing about all of those people coming together is that it just comes down to the mission. Yeah. How did how did this crew assemble? It's it they assembled themselves. Yeah. Right. I mean that's what I'm talking about. Is it's like how did Bitcoin assemble? How did mm-hmm. you know all these pieces were were out there in the ether at some point, and then it kind of came together. Enough people saw where things needed to go, and um, I think that you know we were in a, a, a similar place. My perhaps my only skill was was writing a single mission statement or codifying some of what we were all discussing and mm-hmm. then saying, Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? And then, you know, if you, if everyone has that discussion, everybody agrees, yeah, that makes sense to me. Then I, you know, there's no recruiting. There's no, that's not kind of how it works. It was just a mix of the right timing. And then also those people recognizing, yeah, this is actually the most important, not just the most important, uh, thing that they could work on from a business perspective, but, literally the most important problem available to humans today to work on. And that's, that's a crazy statement, but it's true. Right. I mean, if, if, if Bitcoin, you know, there are these singular moments in history when, when something changes and where what Bitcoin does make available, if it goes away now that, you know, all of the other States and uh, kind of everybody else is kind of aware as to what it could be. Um, then we're in a we're in a load of hurt. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a major issue. So solving this problem around uh, maintaining your self sovereignty and uh, doing it in an easy to use way, and thinking about um you know how we can make Bitcoin personal key management, all of those things, improving all of those things is just absolutely critical. Yes, and I am very thankful for the work that you guys are putting into these solutions, uh, private key management especially it's uh one of the biggest hurdles in the space and so like i fancy myself uh, a product nerd as well in another life i would be a product manager uh I, i've studied ux in the past i've tried yes. tried to work on product teams uh after transitioning from finance it's hard to break into uh you have yep. to build shit and yeah that's what i realized i had to come, yep. i had to build the newsletter like which is quote unquote a product but uh a, a poorly des- designed from an aesthetically pleasing uh it's functional. That's it's all functional. that matters. Exactly. Yeah. People functional. overplay the the aesthetics. Yeah, and aesthetics should even just feed into function ultimately. So. Exactly. So, but that's what I want. As a product nerd, I think the way you guys are approaching this this self sovereign suite of products is beautiful because the private key management was your first. You're, you're, it's basically an iterative process. It looks like mm-hmm. at this point, you, f- you figure out custody first, and then mm-hmm. all right, then you figure out uh, hardware node management, and making it easier yeah. for people. So, I just want to get like a peek into your brain of like how how you guys have built this roadmap has it been very okay we're at this point now let's build this or do you guys have like a suite of tools that you already know you're going to build yeah so so um it's a good question i again i think of this process it's not about um so i'd separate it out into two things if we want to talk about like just the 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 um, product development uh design and then just kind of the pure how you find a product map in the first place mm-hmm. um and so the the second question I think is 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 part of what you're asking at first, and and that there's something interesting about this question of like what's the difference between capital wealth and something that's useful wealth, and then 
um, just another product. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's a, that's a, you know, and the difference there is that capital wealth, like someone's going to use that to eventually make more money or to survive in kind of a capital based system. And I use an example of, of, um, so say you're, you know, you're some boomer, you've, you've, uh, pulled out some of your fiat money in a retirement account, whatever. And now you've, you go create, uh, or you go retire and spend your time, uh, remaking or restoring old cars, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, there's a market for some of those old cars, but you might be restoring a car in some color and something else. It's like just totally personal to you. Mm-hmm. The total market of people that would actually buy that car is actually quite small. It may be non-existent. Um, now is that, is that car it's, you created something new, but is that actually wealth, right? Is that actually capital wealth that can be brought back into the capital system? Does it have value in that capital system? And I think people, people like one question around product management and one question around just like generally building companies is just because you can create a product doesn't mean that it will translate into something that's actually useful for a business. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's this nuance around product development that, um, one, you have to solve a problem. You solve it for yourself. You make sure there's a market for other people too. It does have to feed into this kind of having more value and generating capital itself. And then if you get some of those things right, um, uh, and, and, and and to contrast that, that specific car example, then if you build, you know, if you rebuild a, uh, or if you just talk about kind of your average BMW or your average Porsche that just is a massive market of or your average Tesla, right, that has mm-hmm. a massive market. I mean, I think Tesla was a, is a perfect example there because people didn't know that market was there, but Elon kind of helped generate that market. Um, but it was obviously everything he's creating, people are buying strongly. So I, I say all that to say, to come back to this question of product development and building out a product plan, is that you ha- you do have to start somewhere, but frequently you'll get these like tugs in different directions on what people will actually pay for and what what will provide value. And you have to be careful not to go down certain paths, right? Because certain paths, it's just like nobody's going to buy that, even though it might be useful for you or it might be useful for the person. It may not fund itself. And that's why these questions of these underlying business models, such as advertising, are just absolutely critical. And why I do think that Bitcoin is going to uh, just absolutely flatten pretty much every company that's been based off an advertising-based business model. So Facebook, Google, like why all these you, companies. Why do you think that? Because the, the, the underlying core business or the underlying core um, assumptions, right? The reason why advertising exists in the first place uh, is all driven around a fiat system. It doesn't have to, if you, um, you know, it, it comes down to kind of payment processing mm-hmm. and, um, you know, running something like lightning network channels is, is you know, and if you have, <clears throat> there are still some hurdles and there are some still some costs. Um, and so you're not going to open lightning channels with just everyone. I mean, you have to open one of those channels, but the bottom line is that the, the, the cost of interaction on Bitcoin network on the broader kind of programmable money network that we're heading towards means that the incentives around advertising, which were basically kind of displaced every year, whenever you, it's just a cost of processing a, tra- a transaction, like the you know the three bucks or two bucks or whatever you have to pay a payment processor. Um, the the under the overlying business model around Google or Facebook is just going to collapse out of that. Um, so, anyways, that's like just kind of some rambling on product development generally. But to <laughs> go back to to Costa specifically, we actually we started um, we were building an application on Blockstack, 
and we were looking at this the kind of how you would rebuild models what changes we specifically were looking at um, Airbnb so Airbnb mm-hmm. they built their a lot of people don't know this but they built their own payment processor oh really yeah one of the ways early on I mean they're they're a very technical company they've got you know beautiful products very well built but there are these certain questions about Airbnb's business model that just doesn't make sense until you start digging into the underlying model and one of those that we were asking is is why the hell can't I search by my friends like why can't I search and say you know filter all of these Airbnb properties by degree of friends like if i have three degrees away mm-hmm. um you know i want to stay with that person instead yeah that 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 feature will never get added to airbnb i don't know if i'd want that feature well i wanted that i wanted that feature because i figured it would save money and it would also like oh, yeah. you know you get a little bit of trust and yeah there's some of these people that run regular airbnbs and it's you know it's easy to use but um i just want to want i don't want to like if i ever did god forbid if anything ever happened to the house i want to want that uh friend of a friend having a scorn thrown my way. Well, that's that's from the position of a of a um yeah, I could I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Like there's there's definitely kind of the social cost around that. And right. that's really interesting and that's a different thing. Yeah. Uh but ultimately kind of what we were thinking is even just being able to search and filter in a new city if you could be around somebody that you actually kind of had some connection to, that's a beneficial thing. You also could have, you know, deals around mm-hmm. friends. But as we like as we dug more into that, Ultimately, they'll never add it because you could then start routing around the, the the payment system. Yeah. Right. You could just say, "Hey, I'm going to pay you under the table. I know you. Like, you I'll, know. I'll cash app you. Exactly. Cash app you something else. You have some social connection. Yeah. Uh, so it is all tied back to their core payment processor. And how many other companies are kind of based that way? So we we were looking at that question. We were building something on Blockstack, and we got a very clear picture of what the stack would look like if you were starting to break everything out and and you have to look at, um, so you've got, uh, you, you can look at centralizing or decentralizing across a number of different areas around compute itself, data storage, payments, um, you know, just general kind of public or private sharing. Um, there's a lot around around even kind of making data accessible for search or for future, uh, you know, experiences like comments on an Airbnb app kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like how do you centralize that? Where is that stored? There are all these these other questions, and we were looking at what would we, how would we rearchitect something to enable some sort of new experience, um, in a, a specifically around home sharing, and the the we got a very clear picture into what this kind of future of applications would look like. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we actually built was we built a node. Um, you know, uh, the public story right now is that we had the the key management first and then we built the the node, but it's actually reversed. We actually built a node. Yeah. We built a node first. We were running uh, Bitcoin, Blockstack, Litecoin. We actually ran Peercoin because we were, we were trying to uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, test around with, with um, proof of stake or, or partial proof of stake systems and Mm -hmm. see what that was like. Um, And so we built a little node device and we, we were selling them. Uh, very, very quietly, and we were surprised at the interest. And then, out of that, we very quickly saw that there's a massive problem with having a device in your home and having no key management related to it. And you know that that then pulls you into these other questions around key management. And you shouldn't build key management only for one device. You really should build key management overall. Mm-hmm. So we realized that we couldn't even ta- properly tackle a singular device without better key management. So we went to that. 
Um, and then only after we had a really good solution around that have we come back around now to the, the node and as a whole, the experience is really coming together. So that, I mean, jumping back to the, the just kind of the process, product development process, you know, that we started one area, we saw some clear demand, we saw a massive problem and you would lose money if someone just like picked up your box, right? Mm -hmm. Went into the key management side, people would pay for that very quickly, built, started building the business off of that and then have come back around to the full node. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's crazy. Like the whole in the, I mean, I'm one of the first owners of the Casa Node. Very excited to to Amazing. get it up. Thank and you. Also, yeah. the first to have the uh, to have uh, a down, initial download issue, so I'm resyncing. <laughs> of um, course. But I think from a holistic experience, like even that. So you guys have a private Telegram ch chat too, and like for UX data, that's incredible. Like getting the first users and getting feedback right away. Like so, you guys. That's like an innovation. I mean, Slack groups and Telegram channels have been big in crypto from for like a community perspective, but like taking it to a product perspective. And I was thinking about this like last week, just like yeah. being on a UX team, like this is like a revolutionary way to like get instant feedback from users and, and iterate faster. And yeah, it is. I, I'll tell you something else though. It's a, it's a major issue that hasn't been solved in this space is um, we are, we are, we are, um, and this is not actually being talked about that much, but you have the whole advertising industry, right? Mm -hmm. And that one seems a little obvious because you know if you have data trackers on websites, whatever else, the one that people aren't really talking about and specifically around product development is what I call uh, surveillance product development, mm -hmm. where every move you make, like if you open any of your iPhone apps, every single iPhone app that you have on your phone is tracking every tap you make, every move you make, everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. Every website you go to is tra tracking every pixel you click like every you movement map it. yeah you See can heat map. it's goes. absurd yeah. it's absurd uh and that is not going to fly if we're rebuilding in an advertising based internet where everything feedback you know flows back into some ad being paid people accept it because they're getting a free product mm -hmm. in a place to where you're actually paying for a product you're self-sovereign it's your own data and your own money that you're worried about, that is not gonna fly. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about how these companies are gonna be wiped out, that, that's another very fundamental way is like, we, we don't have any tracking in our systems. We've ripped out, we had, we had a, um, we even had a, a small like chat thing that would help us with uh, a quick chat in the app with a few clients and we ripped that out too because mm -hmm. we just realized that there's way too much data sharing that's happening. And so we've minimized our footprint and removed all kind of uh, data. And then we rely on, out of that, we have to rely on direct customer communication. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the oldest way to do real product development. Uh, and now I think in the future, it's going to be the only way. Yeah. No, and it's would you? It's probably a better way or eh, maybe not. Well, it's hard because people don't. People um, don't know what they. People don't know what they exactly what they need. Mm -hmm. You have to it it take it's kind of an art to ask the right questions, but I also think that, uh, you know, putting putting everyone in a damn panopticon, which is um, a Jeremy Bentham panopticon. The whole, uh, I mean, that's effectively what we've built. What is that? What is that? So a panopticon is a a prison design where you had a central tower. Um that looked out on all of the the rooms in the prison. Okay. Right? So the guards would stand in a central tower, and the idea is that you'd never know, um, the prisoners would never know if the guards were looking in your direction. But because the tower was in the center and you had some surveillance, 
there at all times, all of the prisoners would behave better mm-hmm. because they never knew if, if, if they were happened to be looking their direction. And weirdly enough, if you look at like all of the more recent, at least every public school and um, a lot of buildings that I've, that I've you know, that I've, I've noticed this, I'm sure other people haven't, and I'm sure it wasn't the exact reason for the design, but a lot of, of like kind of open uh, floor plans, open school plans, they're basically designed in the same same system but our mm-hmm. the whole surveillance system and the advertising system is based around the same thing right um they're sucking in all this data on you now we have like the chinese that the score in china right the social score oh, in china wow. uh it's it's fucking panopticon and we have to bitcoin is going to break out of that <laughs> all these tools are like we're not you know people are going to rip out I, I the Blockstream actually just announced their explorer as well their bitcoin explorer mm-hmm. One of the things, if you look at a lot of people didn't notice this and it wasn't much discussion about it, but one of the things that they said is no tracking, right? It's like, it's going to become a thing. It's going to become a big thing. More of a social cue then too, where people will be like, ah, I don't want to use this website unless, mm-hmm. unless I know they're not tracking me. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. That's it. And no, this, this is something that fascinates me. Like the idea that maybe we fucked up on the internet the first time around or something like that, the way we structured it and no do we have this grand opportunity to rebuild it from scratch doesn't need to be rebuilt from scratch uh or are we able to sort of slowly over time build these tools in a parallel system uh, sure so the road to hell is paved with good intentions right yeah and i i think that <clears throat> um you know we've we've just gotten further and further down in the system to where we're looking around and you know some people are waking up and realizing holy shit like this is this is bad and yeah. it, the funny thing is as as the political climate the other thing that i've um, I frequently cited to people as a reason why I, d- I think th- things will break down and even some of the centralized crypto companies will break down is that our geopolitical situation is just spiraling out of control. <laughs> it's crazy. Right? It's getting crazy. I write about it. I've been writing more about like geopolitical than uh, happenings than like Bitcoin happenings more recently because it's just well, the same thing. They're right? the same thing. Exactly. They're going to be the same thing yeah. over the long term. I mean, that's why I talk about like, you know, Bitcoin computing, this is this is all the same thing. It's mm-hmm. gonna absorb everything. A lot of investors look at it as this like niche kind of frontier tech. I'm like, no, no, no. Give it give it five years and every company is gonna be just discussing these exact same issues because you're gonna trigger some people no don't, right now. People don't people don't uh are not properly anticipating that as the the geopolitical situation gets more and more complicated, um, a lot of the centralized business models will just break down. Right? Why is this? Um, well, think about just shipping a product, just dealing with customs fees. Mm-hmm. Very simple one. This doesn't even this doesn't even get into the question of whether the country will actually allow your product in there. Uh, whether you would have to do a deal with a with a country like China and Google and their whole censored um, uh, web search, right? Um, but just shipping a physical product into a company, customs fees are going up. Trump's playing this whole tariff mm-hmm. game, so that's becoming an issue. Uh, borders are going to become more of an issue. Now you also have the culture wars, and you you know it's going to be very hard. Most most or, you know I, I won't say all, but like a lot of consumers are now expecting their companies to start espousing their kind of cultural propositions, which is insane. Right. Um, and so it's <laughs> it's it's getting harder and harder. Kendall Gender handing a Pepsi to someone. It's ridiculous, man. It's, it's crazy. crazy. <laughs> um. That's scary. It's a, are you optimistic or are you scared? No, for, I'm, for I'm the very optimistic. Yeah. I'm very optimistic, but I'm. Um, I think that the, I think the 
I think it's going to be a lot more painful than most people Expects. anticipate. Um, but what's what kind of comes out the other end is going to be great. Yeah. So. Um, no, 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 it's a bit cheesy to say, but it does feel like there's a bit of an awakening happening where people are beginning to think more thoroughly about how yeah uh, how the world we built around us uh, could be constricting. We could be building a prison for ourselves. Uh, yeah. We arguably already have, uh, and we need to break it down and build build something else. Yeah, that the the scary thing on the geopolitical side is that what most people don't think about is, okay, I'm you know I'm building and what what everybody said. This is it's it's you can go look it up. What everybody said is, oh, it's fine, it's fine that Obama has these you know surveillance powers, and we want him to catch the terrorists, and we want him to. And what everybody said was like, wait a second, if you give if you give Obama all of these tools, and then someone else comes in and. And then you would go ask anybody that supported Obama and, and now Donald Trump has the same powers, right? Right. And then now everybody's freaking out. Everybody on that side is freaking out about, about Donald Trump, but anybody that supported Donald Trump uh, uh, is kind of happy about it because he's going down and tackling all of, uh, you know, a, a bunch of issues. Um, but then everyone's saying to any Donald Trump supporter, hey, look, like if you if you expand his powers, then if it flips the other back around again, then, then that person's and they're not think they're you know they're not even thinking about that. Yeah, no, and it's uh, that's what I think. There was a stat out there. I was like, people like elect. I'm fucking tired of elections. I'm, I can't take it. Every yep. two years, it's fucking exhausting. Yep. And the uh, the hoopla that that happens, the the fever, the fervor yep. that gets that gets. Uh, driven up by the media and the social pressure to have something to say and or yep. pick a side it's fucking bullshit and you go back and look at the stats like i think 31 the last 35 midterm elections like the the uh sitting like the party of the sitting president like lost seats in the house like 31 mm -hmm. out of 35 so like there's always going to be like a backlash it's it's just noise and the yep. same thing fucking yep, yep, happens yep. like and while the same thing's happening, like it's it's these presidents and elected officials are making more uh, authoritarian, dystopian, right. Orwellian laws. And right. It doesn't matter who's president or who the incumbent is at any given time. It's going to change, and right. stats prove that. And uh, that constant back and forth is actually a lack of change mm -hmm. in the future, like in yeah. the long run. And it's it's we're, we're hit, uh, it's going to hit ahead. It well, is heading it, ahead. Donald Trump's our president. Like, yeah. And you ultimately, you, um, one, one thing that I, again, kind of during this time when I went back and I studied and I was learning about Bitcoin and broader capital system. <clears throat> another thing I learned, and this is kind of shocking that, that most, more people don't realize this, but I, there's a book that Council on Foreign Relations published. So it's not, this is not like some fringe theory, but they were just tracking waves of, uh, democratic politics, waves of authoritarian politics, and there's been this massive surge in authoritarian regimes all over the world, mm -hmm. and uh, that's increased. That has not decreased. There's no, there's no, kind of no ebb to that uh, more recently, and so, and that's not something that people are talking about generally at all. Um, and so, again, you know, bringing that back, you know, I don't care who you support as president, who you support locally in your elections, who you support, or if you just choose to opt out. My, I think our, you know, I won't, I won't speak for everybody on our team because we have people across this political spectrum. That's one of the beautiful things about our team is everybody believes in this kind of core 
mission of, again, maximizing personal sovereignty and safety, they have different views as to where they would take that and they would take their lives. And that's perfectly acceptable. But ultimately what we're bringing about back, back to is that people should just have choice. Mm-hmm. They should have a choice to check out of a system that is treating them poorly or potentially even, you know, a catastrophic situation like in Venezuela. And again, people's choices are getting more and more limited and we're trying to add to that. So I think it's I think it's really important um, that people there are, there are a number of kind of short term views from both investors and companies and even some consumers in terms of kind of what they want in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, and if too much of that happens, then these long term things about you know literally just having your own kind of personal independence are going to go by the wayside, mm-hmm. and we can't let that happen. So. Yeah. Um, no, it's a, it's never a dull moment. And it is a, it is a, an invigorating industry, quote unquote, to be in. Uh, like you were saying earlier, like it's mission driven. You have the chance to disrupt the world and disrupt arguably the biggest app in the world, which is money. Um, so one thing that's been big in the crypto Twitter sphere recently is like narratives and, mm-hmm. and the changing of narratives of, different projects and whether uh, some narratives have more merit over others. And uh, I, I'm sort of, it's getting to a point where people are, are sort of misconstruing the narratives narrative. Yeah. Um, if you will, uh, where people are paying more credence to what may be the loudest narrative at a particular time, but it may not necessarily be the best narrative. And people are trying to say that like, Bitcoin in particular, like, uh, the store value narrative is pretty new, but you go back to bitcointalk.org, Hal Finney was talking about, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Bitcoin as a settlement layer for banks in 2010. Yep. Um, so did you have any views on this? Uh, do you have a particular narrative that you like uh, or view of Bitcoin and how it should scale going forward? Um, so again, I'm, I'll jump back to this, like, perception of it doesn't totally matter. Yeah. Um, these These... Like I, you know, I'm, I'm not aiming to be a thought leader. I think that like any of the pushes around thought leadership, like ultimately we just have, I, I kind of constantly push back to individuals, like whatever you kind of core belief is, whatever you want to, um, and I, and I think that, you know, trying to shape that too much is, is a, uh, is an issue. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that, I think that ultimately, you know, we've been through this wave and we've, we've, <laughs> this is now the second one, right? Like, um, uh, where we've seen some of the same projects try to come back and be tokenized, uh, you know, at diff- different waves. And as of the SEC action on Ooh. Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read the full document. I've read snippets of it, but it's, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Um, no, that's actually we can jump into that too. That's uh So I I've I've I was about to send this tweet out later, but I'm I'm you know, I'll make the statement that crypto is dead, long live crypto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. I mean crypto's dead. Cri- so crypto in particular crypto. crypto is dead. Yeah, yeah. That that concept I think I think that that was the marker, the SEC marker. And I don't think it's gonna be apparent to, to everyone or it won't ripple out extremely fast, but give it a few months and you know, let's see how many of these projects actually refund their investors and just this kind of crypto industry mm-hmm. um, is, yeah. It got. Crypto is dead. 
Last year was insane, man. It got out of it got out of control. Yeah. Really quickly. Like really quickly. Like to the point where like everybody was talking about it and everybody was like trying to make up a build a company or a, a, a business plan around a token model and not even understanding what it is. Like I had to go to consensus last summer uh, with Barstool because like they wanted like some ICO wanted to like advertise on Barstool and I that's oh like, boy that's how <laughs> I Trojan horse myself into consensus and was like what the fuck is going on it was like as like an observer it was crazy to see uh, a mania filled with such a lack of knowledge or lack of understanding of what people are actually working with yeah uh, happened in real time it was yeah. like looking around like uh, many times throughout last year especially towards the end of the year where I was like am I crazy like is is this really going to take over? Is is Tron going to take over the world? And right. Stuff like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, because compared to 2014, 2015, where really that mania was more like shit, copy-paste code of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. change parameters, make a proof-of-stake, proof-of-work, pre-mine, whatever. Totally. Whatever. Yeah. And Ethereum just made it considerably easier mm-hmm. uh, with the ERC-20 tokens. Um but it'll be interesting to see as this bear market persists, uh, what gets built and what the next mania looks like. Do you think? Do you think it'll be as broad? Do you think uh, thousands of tokens will will be pumping in the future, or do you think uh, there will be a, a, a chaff that rises to the top? There will be another mania, um, and I'm asking you. But you, I will. You I don't will, like to predict anything. I'm asking you. To predict yeah, a bunch but of things. but I yeah I I there will be another mania. I mean, there's. This, this is like just getting back to kind of human systems and how um, human investment works and how you have these um, uh, Rene Girard and his whole uh, theory around mimetic, mimetic theory. I don't know if you know that, that one. Um, Big old memes here. Yeah. So mimetic theory actually shifts out of like, so you have uh, mimesis and memes, which is really Dawkins. Mm-hmm. And then Rene Girard, uh, mimetic theory is about how people learn and about social contagion and about mm-hmm. like the, uh, about how violence emerges in cultures. Okay. Have you heard this at all? No, let's go into it. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, and this guy, actually the reason why Peter Thiel originally invested in Facebook was purely based out of his deep understanding of mimetic theory. And he actually studied with Gerard. Uh, and it's a kind of core, um, from what I've read, it's a kind of core influence of his philosophy and his investing outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way, the, the, the way in, a, in a very oversimplified uh, explanation, the, if you have, you, have, you have desire, basically, that comes from humans and, and that uh, they, they desire certain outcomes or that they desire certain products. And the way that you know, it, we, we're connected, we're talking as two human beings, and you have a third person in the room, uh, and now we're all kind of connected and talking and exchanging information. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, the kind of hierarchy in, of respect in the room actually dictates kind of where the desire amongst all the humans flows. Um, and so if you have, so if you, uh, you know, if you like cold brew coffee, Mm -hmm. right. And I have a lot of respect for you. Uh, and I've never had cold brew coffee before, but I see you drinking cold brew coffee. Then I'm likely to try to drink some cold brew coffee. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I, my respect for you kind of channels through that into the products, the other things you use. Um, so very easy kind of 
it is it's a very easy way to explain how the kind of celebrity power and mm-hmm. uh, how that whole world has kind of emerged and why it's important because Instagram thoughties. Yeah, people need people need this uh, people need this kind of mechanism, right? And signaling mechanism, right? Okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's signaling a status mechanism. Uh, all the status games kind of come out of uh, parts of this, but the Rene's theory and and it's mimesis. Mimesis is just mimicry, right? Okay. And so the way humans learn is through mimesis. They, out of some respect or some kind of draw into another person that they see someone do something and then they repeat that same behavior. And it's so you can actually watch this like ripple out over when, uh, you know, if, if so, uh, another kind of example around this is if you look at like elite athletes, mm-hmm. one person breaks a record, all of a sudden, like a ton of other people break that record, yeah. but it takes one person to like break through and then everybody else channeling and seeing, okay, this is possible. And then it happens. And similar with products, you get these massive, um, this, these massive celebrities that people are following and desire to be like, or desire to be with. And then they say they're buying one product and boom, like that thing just explodes in sales mm-hmm. and the product didn't change. So what changed? It was like people's desire somehow. Yeah. Um, so ultimately that comes back to, he explains that violence actually erupts whenever you have a zero sum situation. So if there's only one cold brew coffee, mm-hmm. right. And now we have a whole room of people they respect Marty that they all want cold brew coffee, then violence is going to erupt. Somehow there's going to be a fight to get to that singular resource. Now, the reason everybody wants that cold brew coffee is total bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's just out of this like mimetic contagion mechanism. Yeah. You should not be trying to imitate me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the lesson, right? Yeah. Is that you got to be really careful about whether the decisions you're making are based on, you know, just imitation of someone or whether you actually have kind of good reason for that. Um, so do you actively, uh, like walked through life with this in mind, like thinking, am I after, trying to be, I think after I, I was aware of it, I mm-hmm. definitely thought through like, okay, am I being an influence or being manipulated? Well, no, it's not so much manipulated. It's just, it's just, you know, how much of what I'm doing and how much of the direction I'm going, or if I'm responsible for a company and we're, you know, talking as a team and deciding where, what to build or what to do, like what, how much of that is based off of, are drawing in from other people and how much of it is based off of what we've built up and kind of a rational analysis ourselves. And I think that again, coming back to this idea of not having, of, of, of encouraging people to, to really dig in themselves and not just take like we're on a podcast and I'm going to espouse some opinions and not just to suck down my opinions mm-hmm. blindly, um, uh, is, you know, is, is an interesting thing. Um, and I, and it's, it's indicative that, that I think that the, the age that we find ourselves in this whole m- idea of mimetic contagion explains a lot of the kind of terrible situations with social media and the fury that people get into and the, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's like people have gone out of their minds. It's like a bunch of damn zombies and right. taking Instagram photos and all this stuff. It's, and it's, ha- it's happening so fast. Like it's crazy yeah. how, this stuff's only 10 years old really facebook's what 10 years old yep 2008 yeah where was it no no yeah 2008 actually no i don't remember yeah it was it was around i think 0506 yeah and then it's it was all you know you know universities at first and high schools and it like went on and on on. i remember when facebook first came out it was like a freshman or sophomore in high school and i was driving to school with a senior and i'd be like oh dude you're gonna download facebook he's like no way man not in college yet like need to wait till i get that edu uh address to download it was like but then completely exploded into the the monolithic uh sauron that sauron that it is today yeah um 
it's crazy to see that happen very quickly and what what uh what lessons are we going to learn going forward cuz i don't i don't think i don't think facebook will be around for for perpetuity i, I think they're yeah we'll see we'll see it's going to be interesting i mean they've they've gotten a lot of flack recently um i think they're fucking up pretty bad to the point where people are, are the the uh everybody's still on instagram so yeah that's the thing instagram I mean, it, it, people people kind of are, are one of the other principles around that is that that's eventually true. you have a sacrifice so the mimetic theory thing is that um, socially religion served this purpose of, mm-hmm. of kind of calming violence because you would have some level of a sacrifice. Um, and sometimes that would take the case of like, uh, you know, witch burning or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when someone sacrificed, then everybody's back at peace. Cause that person was, you know, the big bad person that was causing all the problems. Yeah. So right now, like is Facebook, this kind of, uh, sacrifice that's happening now are people putting all the blame there even though they're not the only one um they're the scapegoat they are the scapegoat right now more recently one thing that annoyed me is um uh um what's the guy's name the uh salesforce guy mark benioff (laughs) yeah i had that tweet up too uh mark benioff man he um uh talking shit calling out facebook um yeah, they suck down. Salesforce sucks down a ton of data. Pot meat kettle. Yeah, pot meat kettle. They um, suck down a ton of data. Yeah. And I find it incredibly creepy that Benioff put the, I mean, people were joking about it for, for uh, you're talking about Sauron, <laughs> but he put the kind of Sauron, the eye of Sauron on Did he? the, yeah, the eye of Sauron on the Salesforce tower on Halloween. Oh, on in Halloween. San Francisco. Yeah, on Halloween. I remember that. And someone, someone brought this out. It was like a joke thing, but I like, I thought it was like the the whole layering in the last few weeks with Benioff has just been bizarre because he's coming out just like talking crap about Facebook and how it's like cigarettes and all this stuff. Yet Salesforce, I don't know if you've ever um, talked to a Salesforce, like, yeah, I had somebody using Salesforce to like track you down, close a sale, but they have all these data tracking tools and the same data tracking tools that Facebook is using, uh, you know, Salesforce is also using to just close sales. Yeah. So they're sucking down a ton of data. And they're throwing rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Silly. Um Okay. So how do how do we solve this problem? How do we how do you see Casa solving some of these problems in the long run? Obviously you've got the node. What uh yeah. are you are you allowed to talk to what what we'll be expanding into into the future? Uh, yeah, I can speak to it a little bit. Um mm-hmm. We've got a few things, a few more things we're announcing before the end of the year that are pretty exciting, but ultimately it just comes back down to personal computing. Okay. Um, if you back into a, just a, a cybernetics point of view um, and control loops, right now the loops that we go through basically, like you know, you make a decision, you open um, Instagram or you open one of these other apps. That app is. You know, it, the, the loop from you making a single decision and then the kind of response, the data that comes back to you right now is being manipulated by hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands mm-hmm. of organizations, other robots, other systems. Um, we need to get back to a place to where we can have some level of computing and some level of, hey, I, wanna, I want some assistance in doing a task, which is what a computer is. I mean, you're just getting some information assistance. We need the ability to have that assistance be one hop. Literally, like I put in an input, it does a calculation. It's only in my kind of local control, and then I get the response. And there's nothing else influencing it. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's uh, it's fascinating, and I guess like I keep asking very similar questions because the crux of it, like, are the incumbents is the model uh, that they're currently using so good that the fight against a, a newer model will be will be pretty big? Like, are you expecting a big fight from from incumbent systems, or you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once they sense that there's a real threat, yeah. right now they haven't. They they don't believe that there's a real threat. Mm-hmm. I do. I do have some intel that they're that some of them are moving faster behind the scenes than most people anticipate. So they know there's something on the horizon, but I, I like think they building still, systems too. Yeah. yeah. Building, uh, building competitive systems like, you know, for personal compute or, uh, well not necessarily for personal compute, just like trying to reinvent themselves to survive and where this is all going to like form fit Bitcoin functionalities on or, uh, kind of. Yeah. I mean, just the newer, the newer overall model, which I do think, I think like Bitcoin is the core representation there of you know you can you could have your own personal miner too if you wanted to it's not it's not uh, given the the efficiency around mining uh bitcoin and the cost around mining bitcoin and the difficulty um that's not going to play out totally but the the system was designed in a way with running nodes running your own compute having things local i think that even having a trezor and a ledger right are really important and there's something about trezors and ledgers that even before a node that is um, that people haven't fully caught on to yet. Um, What's this? Because the Trezor and the Ledger are fully local compute. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are using one of the browsers, one of the Trezor or Ledger browsers, that is reaching out to you know some outside servers, and you're still routing some transactions. Through, but the local, um, you know, holding your private key, generating your private key, um, all that is local. Yeah, it never leaves the device. Um, it never even comes onto the computer. That you know, mm-hmm. you're interacting with. Yeah. That has, that has not happened for like the last 20 or 30 years. Everything has been sucked into a cloud in some capacity and having fully local data, lockdown data, that has not been happening. So it's, it's, it's really significant that there's like even just this glimmer mm-hmm. of that. And we want to push, we're trying to push more and more, uh, in that direction. No, it's, uh, it's treasure, uh, in particular, that's exactly what you were describing earlier, like one call, like that's all it does is it communicates with the, the Trezor API or the Trezor, uh, wallet, um, mm-hmm. page, the bridge, they call it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just requests send back. You have no idea what's going on on the device, uh, which is beautiful. Um, and I love that degree of certainty that, that these types of products provide. Um, right. And the, the control you have with your iPhone apps is just an illusion, right? Right. Compared to that. Because in that control, like you literally, like there's nothing. You unplug that in between that the command that's being sent out. You unplug your device and it just fails. Mm-hmm. And with your local phones, everything. I mean, there's, there's reports that, you know, uh, some of the spy organizations can even turn on phones and turn on microphones. And who the hell knows if that's legit? But Dude, it's definitely legit. <laughs> but, you know regardless of that argument's sake there it's like you know are you really in control of your device you're not yeah. so we need to we need to take control again of our local devices and have uh and it's going to be kind of a slow roll we've what we've built already with <clears throat> lightning and bitcoin simplified interface it's beautiful it works we've already built api layers below that to manage the device manage more node types manage like other things mm-hmm. so we'll be announcing more and more but we're going to allow you to do more and more with that device and with future devices and uh there's a lot there's a lot coming down the pipe we're excited uh to build and you know we've we've seen a phenomenal response from the community um but we are working very hard to give you know even more 
types of experiences, both built on Bitcoin and Lightning, but also, you know, not just built on those um, now that you have that local compute there. Yeah. No, you guys are doing an incredible job. Again, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. That the team deserves all the praise. I just yeah. like, you know, I'm I've I'm a I'm a cheerleader and I've been helping with product design and doing anything I can and running around helping with sales, but the team is just incredible. And there's you know, I I'm continually blown away by the the level of product, the level of design, the level of just customer support, right? Mm-hmm. Even has has been uh everybody's been doing a phenomenal job. The team is incredible. Yeah. Um but to pivot back to uh, more philosophical musings, what if we don't succeed? What if we fail? And what if uh, we continue down this path that we're that we're on right now into a, a more dystopian-like future? Do you, do you think that's possible? Do you think the Bitcoin project and the ethos behind the cypherpunk movement in particular is imperative that more people adopt it? Um, I don't think that... Do I think ultimately the the kind of core tenets of the cypherpunk movement are not, not everyone's going to read, mm-hmm. you know, cypherpunk manifesto and go through and, and, and relate to that. Yeah. But I think that the core tenets around freedom and control and what it means to be, you know, in control of yourself and your family and your data and, um, that those things do resonate mm-hmm. strongly. Yeah. And people will, come around and, and are coming around more and more to that. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, but if you, I mean, you're asking if what happens if we don't, what happens if, if something, you know, breaks and falls apart? I mean, I do think that there will be other, there will be there'll other, be bugs yeah, there will be other movements. There will be other edges in the system. I mean, it's, it's always, this is all, um, you know, one system builds up and there's, there's a kind of a counter to the extremes that that system creates. Um, and the, the, uh, duopoly of systems is, is consistent. I mean, you always see things at extremes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, so, so something else will emerge in time. And this is not, if you look at even Bitcoin, you know, how many, uh, e-cash and how many, how many other versions of, of, of um, cash, distributed cash, e-gold, were, were you know happened before Bitcoin mm-hmm. took hold. Um, so it won't it won't be the last, but there will be other challenges. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm just really worried about uh, a black mirror future. In China it is really showing. Uh, yeah, how that can be become a reality. Yeah. Well, I think I think ultimately it comes down to. <clears throat> um, You know, the, the only way we're going to stop it is it's not out of a single company or a single person it, it or a single, you know, we have to work together and it can't be, can't be led just by CASA. Like we're doing everything to make it easier for people, but, um, you know, it's not just going to be Trezor. It's not just going to be Ledger. It's not just going to be, it, it, it takes, it's going to take a lot of teamwork because what everyone in this ecosystem is up against on the other side is, is just huge. Yeah. I mean, that's why this podcast exists is to get these ideas out there and yeah. just get more people thinking about it. Um, man, no, and it's been fun. Uh, I say this all, all the time, but this podcast is selfish. You get to talk smart people like that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, nice. And, and pick your brain. Um, speaking of picking your brain, I've had yeah. this tweet up. I've been staring at it the okay. whole goddamn time. All right. What's, what's Fascinating. the tweet? Fascinating. 
That we live in a world dominated by QWERTY keyboards and Newtonian time systems should seriously concern Bitcoiners. Yeah. It's a, it's a mini thread here. Two tweet mini thread. Second tweet. Bitcoin will outlast us all, but that doesn't mean it's not possible that it's that a stupid, inefficient, intermediate system could take hold for a decade if we're not careful. For decades, excuse me. Yeah. What do you mean by this? My, um, my site's going, by the way. I should be able to read this pretty easily. But. Yeah, it's... So it's funny, this this tweet didn't get a lot of traction when I sent it out. Um, I'm going to retweet it right now. <laughs> there it goes. And I, 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 you know, I, I actually wipe my tweets every week, I think. Really? Yeah. So I don't, I don't keep anything up. Um, and I, um, so I, I'm, I don't think I'm ever really looking for, you know, My massive reality. visibility. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I want to push the idea out into the world and I'm looking for feedback and I'm looking for kind of engagement, but it's something that I've, uh, observed that is valuable for myself. And so I push it out to see if it's, so it's, it's, it's interesting that you like, out of that, you know, my positioning about even why I push these out, that this one stuck out to you and to bring it up and, and discuss it. Yeah, it um, does stick out to me. It's interesting. Yeah. Again, it's like, like we, uh, the Bitcoin makes you think about like the incumbent systems you live within and the monetary system in particular for me is what it started. Yeah. And then like, yeah, Bitcoin could be a giant clock as well. So it like, makes you think differently about yeah. time. Well, I think, I think, I think Bitcoin's that. clock is, is different. Like the way it, yeah. The way it works is not based off of pure Newtonian time. So yeah. I, I, so, um, so first off, QWERTY keyboards, like there's that tidbit of this, and then there's the Newtonian time piece, and then there's the so let's like break down the the actual tweet. Um, QWERTY keyboards. Why do we have QWERTY keyboards? I have no idea. Because some people, that's just the way they typed at one. It's t- type typewriters, correct? Yeah. Because so. you needed the letters spread out a certain way so they didn't collide with each other or something Well, like that. that's even like up for debate. Mm-hmm. When you go back and look at the history of why it was actually drawn out, I think the original design came from some, uh, it was some typewriters. It was also, um, uh, what do you call people? Telegram writers, mm-hmm. right? That were some of the early, I guess, early typists that were hearing a telegram that was routed in. They type it out. They, that gets sent out. And... Um, you know, ultimately that turns into waves of typists that are just typing out documents. And, you know, you see these scenes, you watch like, uh, you watch a show like Mad Men or something and you see these, uh, you know, teams that are just on typewriters, like typing out memos. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's absurd to think about, you know, prior to Word and prior to the personal computers we've had and that, you know, this is is how things built up. but what they found now, as they've dug more and more into the keyboard layout, is that it's incredibly inefficient. Mm-hmm. QWERTY keyboards are incredibly inefficient. The, to the, what extent? The weight, um, I believe that the left-handed side is like overweighted in terms of how often you use some of those uh, keys. And it's something like 70, 30%. It's some, something like that. I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I just know it's incredibly inefficient. So there, you have alternative layouts like Dvorak. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, engineers that have adopted alternative key, keyboard layouts uh, because they're aware of this fact. And they're like, this is fucking stupid. And so, I can't imagine trying to relearn, uh, right? relearn a keyboard. But that's the thing, yeah. right? Is that we now know how inefficient it is. Okay. And millions, billions of people use a keyboard at some point every day. 
And yet, knowing how inefficient it is, billions of people are still using keyboard every day, the same one. And why hasn't it changed? Well, if you look at tooling-wise, just making the machine that makes a MacBook's keyboard, right, mm-hmm. has already been geared towards QWERTY. And the cost of, of, of making that change at a large scale doesn't just in terms, because people just, they, they use the keyboard. Um, and, and it works enough for them. So they're not going to change that keyboard. But it's just, it's one of these, one of these examples of how once, how, how critical early decisions are. Mm-hmm. And once a decision is made and something's put out there into the world, that it starts to shape, you know, it starts to kind of shape back in on, feedback in on uh, <clears throat> the rest of the system. And that sometimes you can get these incredibly inefficient patterns that come out there that just can't be corrected yeah. as they scale. No, and that's a very prescient point to bring up because Satoshi, uh, his decision to go with, what was it, base 48 or base for the um, for the encoding of the the addresses, uh, he chose base 48, I believe, as opposed to base 64. He actually made up a whole new system because the UX of addresses if you had capital O's, zeros, uh, lowercase L's, and capital I's, it would confuse users. So that design, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That design yeah. decision from the outset mm-hmm. has uh, thankfully helped us avoid a terrible yes. UX problem that would have existed. Yes, yes. So it comes down to small yes. things like that, and I think yes. that the more you look at Bitcoin, the more you find these very small decisions. It's like holy shit, like, right? Yeah, we we avoided a catastrophe by this tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but out of that, what's interesting is that it has at a scale. Bitcoin has taken taken hold, and it has uh, it is scaled. It's still largest by market cap. It's still just in terms of mining hash power. Um, but what I'm where I'm driving towards is that you know we we hear investors talk all the time about replacements for Bitcoin and replacements this and that, and it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. It's insanity, right? Because you're looking at this system that has all these sub pieces that are just incredibly important and we can build on top of it. And there's no reason yet, whether it's their, you know, whether it's greed or whether it's the kind of underlying drive, like, I don't know what is driving, driving it totally, but there is a possibility that we're still early enough in the game that someone else could come up with some, some other system or even a layer two system that's not as well designed Mm -hmm. that could, uh, could create a lot of mayhem take hold yeah um so what what should we be thinking about what should be what with this in mind how should we approach uh our our building of bitcoin into the future building of bitcoin yeah, yeah. um i'm not gonna tell you that okay I like you should that. do it yourself right I like, like think yeah. about it think about it everything you do like yeah. and how you're using your own systems and how you're you know running your own node or or holding your own keys or you know if cost is doing something stupid Call us and tell us. Mm-hmm. Like we want to know. It's I. I mean, we we try to be really really careful. We're we're also operating at scale and trying to scale up and trying to serve more people. But there are a lot of small things that we get wrong, and we we do our best. But it's like I I just encourage. I think that for all the all of the people that have been complaining about like the vitriol and and the ecosystem and how sharp people are talking on. I mean, come on, we're talking about like the future of <laughs> capitalism and civilization and humanity and people. St- yeah. People are like talking about how, Oh my God, someone was mean to me. Like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Go, go ask like 
four to five generations back, go ask your grandfather or grandmother, you know, what they think about this, this amazing world we live in and about whether that, like, that mean statement is an issue. Yeah, sack the fuck up, people. Please. Yeah, it's crazy. We are, we are tackling one of the biggest problems in the world. Um, and you asked for, I don't want to say criticism, but you asked for feedback about CASA. Matt O'Dell has been doing the resync. Uh, Perfect. From scratch. He's 65% of the way there. Excellent. Last check. He's probably above that right now. Yeah. Um, he has a few questions for you. New software okay. updates. How, yes, does, how are those rolled out, rolled out? Privacy OPSEC issue from running a node without VPN or Tor. Yep. Uh, communication with the node is done without encryption. I think for ease of use. Correct. Um, but is restricted uh, to your own LAN. If your router is compromised, though, this could become an issue. Correct. Um, so just to expound, expound upon these thoughts. Excellent analysis, Matt. All good points. <laughs> all valid points. We all we have we actually have uh, stuff in the works for all of these. Bring that up for just a sec, just so I, I can um, I want to make sure and hit all of them. So yes, new software updates are coming. They they should roll out about once a week, but we have a few things. Uh, we had one that that rolled out. There was a small fix um, from the privacy side and the optics side. Uh, the tour is coming. Tour support is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, better VPN support is also coming. The we wanted to get something out the door. One thing that is important to us is like shipping on time and like actually showing up with a real product and getting something out the door and starting that feedback loop. And a lot of companies have not have not shipped at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting it out the door was was important to us. And we made a few decisions. And we we looked at the judge between privacy and security and what the issues were. We're early enough in Lightning Network that we have disclaimers everywhere that you know it is still early enough that there could be a bug in the in our software. There could be a bug in Bitcoin or Lightning software that causes some of the your money to be lost. So we are very upfront with people that you know be careful about how you're using the device and um, you know don't put a, a, a shit ton of money on the device um, or just you know be aware of the risks. But out of that, again, we're early enough on that we wanted to get something out the door that people could start using, knowing that as the volume of money flowing, flowing through these systems increases, that we would we would catch up with mm-hmm. VPN support, Tor support, lots of other privacy features. So that was a decision, you know, on why to ship now without Tor support. I think it's um, a reasonable trade-off. Yeah, and as again, as the as as usage increases, like that will be out soon. I'm hoping by end of the year, but we, we're, we're working on it now. Um, as far as communication with the nodes done without encryption, that is also correct. That was also same decision. Um, we, we do have a scheme that we're working on and we have a, I uh, can't go into exact detail about how that works right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a, a, an alpha working version whenever we launched the node, but we decided to pull it out because complexity was an issue. There were issues that it, you know, it could, um, cause some login issues and just again in user interface and being able to use the node could cause some issues so we pulled that out um and are relying on the fact that you're on your local lan your local mm-hmm. wi-fi mm-hmm. um again for the amount of money that that's being currently spent and currently used on the system um you know it, it shouldn't be an issue you should be on your own private lan you should be on your own private wi-fi we uh, we are very, very uh, public about that, or very, very, very uh, upfront about that. Um, but we are, we do have some solutions for that as well mm-hmm. that uh, that will be out uh, pretty soon. So Sweet. both of those, all all good points, and I'm I'm uh, appreciative to Matt for digging in and and seeing those and bringing those up. 
Uh, and any other questions people have, uh, please let us know. But we have we have solutions for these. We are very aware, and and uh, those were made for specific for a specific reason to get these out the door so people could start using them. Yeah. No, and I think that's yeah. a like I said, a reasonable trade-off to make. And I think shipping on time is important and you yeah. want that, that feedback as quickly as possible. Exactly. And this yeah. is exactly the feedback we want because again, yeah. coming to the product development side, if you're not practicing surveillance product development and we're not tracking everything you're doing, then it comes down to you actually using the product. So we got it to the place that we knew would be um, good enough that was you know, great user experience, has some few security trade-offs. We, we know we want to improve those, but we wanted to get them into people's hands so we could start getting feedback as soon as possible. And so we could start working on the next iterations of everything in this, both the software, more applications, uh, and there's there's more coming down the path, so. Sweet. No, love it again. I can't wait. Uh, can't wait to start experimenting more with it um, once everything's synced. Uh, so what, what Lightning Network in particular, what's, what excites you most about that? Uh, what are you seeing? Uh, just, I honestly, just like the recent, the recent increases in overall volume mm-hmm. on the network, just in the last week. I mean, I think you've seen the total, yeah, I think you've seen the total number of Bitcoins on the network, uh, practically double go or a little more. Hell yeah. Um, it's not, in the last few weeks. Andreas Brecken, like just, uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think there are, there are probably one or two, one or two nodes that have just been loading up and, and putting more Bitcoins on. And that's, that's great. Like, and I, and I, I think that that's. Um, you know, we've been bringing more attention to the network. There's some other teams that have been bringing more attention to the network. Um, and so, you know, getting more excitement around that more people using it and more liquidity on the network is, is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, so beyond what you guys are building, like product wise, uh, are you contributing to like to the open source stuff? Or, um, or, that was a terrible way to frame the question. <laughs> back. Um, obviously that's a big, uh, crux of argument in this space is how do you incentivize development and yes. what, like what chain code does and what Blockstream does by sponsoring developers that right. work solely on the protocol or totally. on the Bitcoin repository mm-hmm. uh, or lightning, whatever it may be uh, is a growing trend. And do you guys, obviously your work mm-hmm. contributes to this uh, indirectly, but are you focused on directly as well? So yeah. we, so a few things there. One, um, we do actually, we've done, we've done a few sponsorships mm-hmm. of some other conferences that are very heavily focused on research side and not on, uh, you token. Know, uh yeah, token shit. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one and that's, you know, very direct. Um, uh, I think it was scaling Bitcoin out in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, Tokyo. I think, okay. I think that's the, that's the conference and Jameson went out there and, uh, we sponsored that, uh, two, in terms of we we have been contributing to um, our own code to some existing open source repositories. Okay. Um, some of those have been around signing. Some of those have been Trezor or Ledger. As we find bugs or find issues, like mm-hmm. we you know we've we've contributed. <clears throat> uh, third thing is that we will be open sourcing some different components of the node, mm-hmm. um, most of the node. Uh, in its current iteration. And so that should be out relatively soon. We have a post coming that will explain our open source strategy. The reason why we haven't posted any of that to date is that there it is, it is actually like we're, so we're, we're fighting an internal battle to develop new features, develop new products, test ourselves, um, just get the damn thing out the door mm-hmm. and then managing open source community, managing, you know, packaging it right. We want to make sure that it's, it's packaged well too. And, uh, and those those things and, and and building an open source project is a very different endeavor. Um, 
ultimately, I think that it is important to support open source communities, support open source code. I think that private source code in some cases is perfectly fine. It just It's just a question of what you're contributing to and what the security trade-offs are. Mm-hmm. And so some parts of our system will be fully private. Some parts will be fully open source. All of that is being decided with a very strict security framework um, and, and, and just in terms of kind of how we're trying to build the best experience possible. Yeah. No, that's uh, it's important. It's a holistic experience experience is uh is very important and it feels like i mean it's been said on twitter i don't know if you agree with this or like this uh uh description but it has to become like a a lifestyle brand almost for cypherpunks or people that like the supreme of bitcoin almost like uh, interesting i have not heard that uh yeah i mean i i think ultimately as long as we can solve this problem of helping give people self-control and self-sovereignty then like you yeah. know i don't i don't give a shit what people think of it like us or how we how we end up as a brand or whatever if we solve that problem yeah so i i you know we we view the world where we're heading um it, it is almost an ideal state if we can get everything open source on a local device that you control it's reliable i mean that that is an ideal state you know getting to that point how you get there is a multi-tiered approach. You're going to have to have some private, some public. You may take some code that's fully private for a long time and then open source it kind of all at once after a couple years of being developed. Um, we may take, right now, there are some pieces that are, are, are centralized and there are some pieces that are decentralized in terms of what we're doing. But all of it is based around this core security model of the core mission of maximizing personal sovereignty and safety. And so I, I think that, and one thing that we actually you don't see a lot of discussion on our website or elsewhere about decentralize this, decentralize that, decentralize all the things. Um, it's not about decentralization. Decentralization is just a path. Mm-hmm. Um, what the thing that I constantly say is uh, <clears throat> it, resilience is a key. What we're what we want is you know personally controlled, resilient computing, resilient tools. We want to we want resilient lives. We want to have resources and family and experiences and build communities together that can survive in a variety of environments. And, um, and so it's all about resiliency. Mm-hmm. Now, the way you get that resiliency, decentralization is one way, mm-hmm. uh, but there are other areas to where decentralization actually hurts your resiliency. So the measure for us is around that security and resiliency, even privacy, I think. I think some people over oversell and overplay this question of privacy. Like privacy is not the actual goal. It's not just about privacy. It's ultimately about your control. And there are some cases, you know, where you can walk in a public square or whatever and your privacy is shit, but it's like, as long as the public square is safe, it's okay. Yeah. It ultimately just comes down to that question of resiliency and privacy is again, a means to gain that resiliency in some cases. Yeah. Just the ability to have the choice mm-hmm. of privacy is imperative. Right. Um, which is a, a important distinction. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, no, this has been a fascinating conversation, man. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for having me, man. Thanks for coming on. What, uh, what's your parting note for the freaks out there? Um, let's see anything. Bitcoin life. Yeah. Love. Uh, give us feedback. Go buy a node, uh, store.casa, um, and follow us on Twitter, Casa Hodl, H-O-D-L. Um, we are, there's a lot more coming just, just in the next few weeks, actually, that I'm excited about. So keep an eye on those things and, um, yeah, give us, give us any feedback you have. Anybody that's using your node, uh, send payments, connect to us. We've got some open channels, um, 
but we are we are excited we're excited the response of the community has been amazing um we're excited to continue contributing to that and growing that and uh cost nodes make a great stocking stuffer so <laughs> they do actually we we are announcing one other product too that is I think we're going to sell out of pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, so definitely keep, this is not, this is definitely going to be a stocking stuffer and it's, it's, um, it's cheaper than a cost of node. It's not a, it's, it'll be interesting, but I definitely like that one's a real stocking stuffer. So keep an eye on. God damn it, Jeremy. I can't want to spend can't. any more money on Christmas. Yeah. But I'm gonna well, it's, to I'm just telling you, this thing's cool. It's cool. <laughs> I'm excited about it. And we, I was hoping to get it out in November, but we, we were a little delayed, but we'll be announcing it in another couple of weeks. Uh, but it's a, it's a pretty simple product. And so it's once, once it's out, I think people will get why we're doing it. But again, it all just fuels back into maximizing personal sovereignty and safety, dude. Hell yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy to me that a company didn't exist. Like that's just the sole goal right? up until now. That's crazy. Um, we'd be, you know, I think that being a, we, we joke that we're like just a sovereign service corporation. And if like all we exist to do is just help feed you ways to be sovereign that's i mean that's that's awesome pretty sick it's a gig. hell of a hell of a business pretty sick gig thank you again for building it uh thanks for coming through the studio on the sunday morning yeah of course of course thanks for hosting me thanks for coming uh i'm very much looking forward to what you guys are dropping in the coming weeks i uh will definitely be tweeting about it possibly writing about it too cool. probably talking about a rabbit hole recap uh peace and love freaks